Welcome to the Data Stack Show. Each week, we explore the world of data by talking to the people shaping its future. You'll learn about new data technology and trends and how data teams and processes are run at top companies. The Data Stack Show is brought to you by Rudderstack, the CDP for developers. You can learn more at rudderstack.com. We're here with RTM, the co-founder and CEO of Cube. Artyom, thanks for coming on the show and welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me today. My name is Artyom. I'm co-founder and CEO at a company called Cube. I'm also co-created Cube open source project back in 2019. Then a year after I started a company with my co-founder. So it's been, I've been on a journey of you know, like building universal semantic layer and how it was going through the cycles of evolution in the last few years. So yeah, exciting to be here and to chat all about semantic layers and data. Yeah, that's awesome. And we've had you before. It's been like almost like a year since uh, you were on the show, Artyom. And like many things have happened in the industry. So I'm very curious to see like how semantic layers have evolved in this one year and also what's next, especially like after the, let's say the, this whole like revolution that's happening right now with AI, LLMs and like all these new like technologies around data. So I'm really looking forward and like chatting more about that stuff. What about you? What are like a couple of things that you're really excited to chat about today? Yeah, it was a great year for semantic layers for sure. And I'm very glad, you know, like how the data community evolved and they're thinking about the need for semantic layers. And I saw different vendors, different companies coming up with semantic layer solutions. And it's definitely happy to see the kind of, you know, the categories maturing overall. Uh, and a cube, you know, like I hope we we contribute a lot, you know, like to the thinking, you know, like to the framework, how the semantic layer should fit into the modern data stack. And Obviously, you know, like the elephant in the room this year was LLMs, right? Like an AI. And I felt like it contributed to the, you know, like ideas and the need for the semantic layer because LLMs, they all about semantics. They essentially like a text in, text out, right? And text is semantics. So that's why, you know, like I see that was a strong tailwind. Okay, we really need semantics not only for humans, but for AIs as well. And let's talk about semantic layers, right? And like how we can get semantics about our data. Yeah, no, that's awesome. I think we have plenty to talk about. So what do you think, Eric? Let's dive in. Let's do it. RGM, it's so fun to have guests back on the show again. It's uh, been about a year and, you know, so many exciting updates to talk about. Before we get into the topics, can you just remind our listeners what Cube is. Cube is semantic layer or universal and standalone semantic layer. And the reason why, you know, I highlight standalone and universal because of like semantic layers, they were here for a long time, right? Business objects, they had a semantic layer. Mm. Problem with that kind of started to happen as we started to have more and more BI tools and cloud made it really easy, you know, to buy more and more tools. Sure. We started to have a lot of semantic layers sort of scattered across different tools because now we have five yeah. ThoughtSpot, Power BI, you know, like uh, Dalmore, you know, like Tableau, you name it. And then they, all these BIs, they have semantic layer attached to the product, coupled with the product. 
And now organizations are yep. five BIs and they all have the semantic layers. The problem is that sort of we repeat ourselves when we define a metric at this every BI level, right? Like we go into one tool, we define all the metrics. We go to the second tool, we define it. And the frameworks always are different. The way we define metrics are different, but essentially we define the same metrics. And it creates a problem and your stack becomes not dry. And, you know, like in engineering, we always try to keep things dry. Do not repeat yourself, right? So, and that's a whole idea behind semantic layer. Let's make our data stack dry on a scale. So we take the metrics out of the BI tools and we define them in one place. We call that place universal semantic layer. And it sits between cloud data warehouses and all the data visualization tools. And then we just define the metrics in that place. And then we deliver metrics to all the different data consumption tools. So that's a whole idea behind semantic layer, universal semantic layer, and cube is building one. Very, what a great concise definition. It sounds like you've uh, explained that a couple times before. I, I did, yeah. But let's talk about the last year. So when we last had you on the show, cube was focused on a fairly specific use case, you know, I think that you were talking about semantic, but not quite to the, I know that you were focused on analytics use cases. And I think you were talking about this concept of headless BI, if my memory serves me correctly. So can you explain the journey that, that you and Cube have been on going from sort of the plus positioning as an analytics type solution and using the term headless and then what what led you, how did the company grow and change? What did you learn about your customers that, that sort of pushed the move to semantic? Right. I think we went through quite an evolution since we started a company and project in 2019, right? The, the company started as an open source project in 2019, and then the company itself started in 2020. So it's been three years, a little over three years now. I think that we initially had this big vision where we wanted to create metrics, semantics, and then deliver them to different places. But we never like had a really good semantics about semantics. I would say how we would call that, right? We had a different names. I remember calling ourselves API for data at some point, and then we were calling ourselves a headless BI, and then the metrics layer. And eventually, it felt like the industry arrived at the term semantic layer, and that everyone is using semantic layer right now. So, from even naming perspective, we went through the several like steps of the evolution here. And from a product perspective, I think when we only started, the obvious problem to solve was how we use metrics in the embedded analytics application or customer-facing application. Because that's where you still need to build a semantic layer, but you would build it manually. You're not going to use one provided by BI, but you would actually like write up code in your Django app or in your Ruby on Rails app to deliver the metrics to the customer, right? So we thought, let's try to remove that piece that developers need to build uh, inside this frameworks and just kind of make it generic. So that was a very clear first use case and it was a big need and that's why it helped us to get initial traction. As we started to build on top of this use case, we started to have customers saying us, hey, we're using Cube to show metrics to our customers, right? Inside their app. But we're kind of looking at the same metrics 
inside our BI tool and inside, you know, like our second BI tool and a third BI tool. Why we not just use Cube to centralize all the metrics for all the different places? And that's how we started, you know, like to go to this next step, next kind of, you know, like age of evolution for Cube is like, okay, let's bring all the BIs right now to work on top of Cube. And that's sort of how our vision is. Kind of, you know, like I wouldn't say expanded because we always wanted to do that, but the product started to expand toward the bigger vision, right? And then we added more BI tools and, you know, like a different AI apps this year. So that, you know, like, and if you go on our website right now, it's quite a different website than like a year ago and two years ago, right? We talk about the bigger vision right now. So I think that was a major change on our end as a product as now we're like not only serving embedded analytics but we're serving a bigger picture of powering all different data experiences in the organization makes total sense one question i have for you is around adoption um and what i mean by that is i'm just interested in the point at which your customers or users come to you so you talk about having, you know, multiple different BI systems that all have sort of have their own semantic layers. It would seem that a lot of companies hit a pain point where they're managing that, that you know, those metrics definitions across a number of different tools, you know, and platforms. And so do you see a lot of, is that sort of the main inflection point where companies come to Cube? Yeah. I think it's a compound problem is because you get so many BI tools and then even inside of one BI tool, like Tableau, you may have a lot of different workbooks and then every workbook, it acts like a silo with all its metrics inside it. And then you think, oh, how do I connect workbooks together or something? So, and it's sort of, you know, like it adds up, you know, like to the problem every time you build a new dashboard, every time you do a new report, like someone tries to do analysis in Excel. So that's why I think this problem, it always on top of mind of, you know, like a data engineers, data leaders. So they always try to find, okay, what is the best way to manage data modeling and metrics, you know, like, because it felt always like we did so much progress with ideas around, you know, code first management, applying software engineering best practices. So we have matured, like data pipelines, you know, like they're like a medallion architecture, like all of this, like different ideas. But then we sort of fail at the last moment where like we actually need to build metrics. And I think that sort of creates this sort of an anxiety or, you know, like an uncomfortable feeling among data leaders and data engineers. There is something should be a better architecture to do this than I'm doing it today. That's sort of probably, you know, like why people have started to think about semantic layer, you know, like talk to us and kind of explore different options. Yeah, that makes total sense. Are you seeing more companies or teams try to start with a semantic layer? You know, you mean like just from scratch, right? Like even if they... Uh, yeah. I, I think it happens. I see it happens sometimes. I think... It's mostly something that comes after, you know, like you have a warehouse, you have one, two, three yeah. BI, because then the problem is more evident, right? Like so you, you see, right. okay, now I have all that mess. I need to clean up the house here. Yeah. But I see companies are starting with thinking about, okay, 
semantic layer from the beginning, which feels to me just kind of maturing of the category, more awareness, you know, like, mm. yeah, data team that are aware that they would need to semantic layer sooner because they would need it eventually, right? So they're thinking, okay, let's put it sure. sooner than later. I think the caveat here is that sometimes there is a, there is sort of, you know, like an opportunity to use tool like a looker, for example, which offers a great coupled semantic layer, which might yeah. have, it might look like a good idea today. Say you, it's say like a mid-market company, like 100, 200 yeah. people, small, still small data team, right? And you might need only one BI tool at this point and looker yeah. option. And semantic layer is coupled with Looker, and it kind of everything makes sense, right? You have your transformations, you have your semantic layer in LookML, and then yeah. visualization. The problem, though, is that once your organization would grow, you definitely will you will hire people who would say, "Hey, I use Tableau all my life. Why should I use Looker?" Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then like Power BI will come in, Sigma, and like Excel. Yeah. So that's sort of a trade-off always, you know, like I see that companies, when they picking up semantic layer, sometimes, you know, like Looker really looks like a good option if you're small, but then if you think yeah. about what happens next, that's probably decoupled semantic layer would be sort of a better option. So that's some interesting caveat I've been seeing, you know, like when companies kind of on a smaller size thinking about semantic layer. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, that's a tricky thing and I'd love for you to help us think about how, you know, how data teams can make a case for this, right? Because it's one of those, you, you know, you said, which was my hypothesis as well, which is like, you know, this becomes, it, the perception of value becomes much higher when you're in a lot of pain because you have multiple BI tools, right? Right. But you save a lot of time and money by not having to get to that place of pain in the first place. But I think one of the challenges is justifying the, you know, expenditure of like, co you know, costs, right? Whether that's like, you know, paying for software or, the, you know, your team actually implementing it. How do you think about, you know, how would you recommend that someone make a case for doing something that, you know, it's kind of the thing where it's like, you know, is this going to provide us immediate value now? No. Like, Will it save us a million dollars over the next three years? Yes. You know, in time that we would have allocated to like wrangling all this data, right? How do you, how would you help someone make that case? Yeah, I think we need to, and by, well, by we say all the semantic layer providers and, you know, like to some extent BI vendors as well, that BI vendors that want to integrate with semantic layers we need to make it as easy and as cheap as possible to the small teams to implement the best practices, you know, like from the beginning. Mm. Right. Say by it, you know, like our solution, the way we think about the pricing could kill, we try to make it scale with organization. So we don't want it to be as expensive as Looker, for example, right? So we want to make sure, okay, yep. it's cheap initially. So you still have a budget for like maybe superset, Apache superset, right? Preset, which is a cloud version of superset. Yep. You bundle these tools together and then you kind of go with that architecture instead of a looker where you would, you know, like have the vendor lock in all the companies mm -hmm. and it's yep. on scale. So I think from what we can do first, we need to create a correct business model. And then we said, can, you know, like come in cheap first and then scale with a usage. 
but we also need to make sure that our products, they offer very good experience comparing to coupled solutions, right? Like obviously when yep. you have a coupled solution, it's easier to build a good user experience versus when you have a decoupled because you need to yeah. sort of kind of try to make two products work as good almost as the same product, which is a really hard yeah. solve, but we need to solve for this problem. So I think these two things that we need to do, and then for data teams to justify it, I guess it's really, you know, like understanding the best practices and understanding that eventually you would need to scale. And, you know, like if vendors make it as much, as easier as possible with attractive cost and attractive integration. So that would be easier for data teams to just kind of go with that architecture sooner than later. Yep, makes total sense. Okay, well, we're talking about semantic layers. I feel like you've done a great job of explaining where the semantic layer sits. DBT is, you know, a very widely used data tool and they emphasize the semantic layer a lot. How do you compare? You know, I think the way that you're describing a lot of things, a lot of people would describe that, you know, describe DBT in a simpler way. So can you just explain some of the key differences or even use cases? Sure. Maybe I'll first, we'll go a little bit through the history, you know, like how DBT arrived at semantic layers. Sure. Um, I think DBT started as a transformation tool, right? Like a DBT core widely used and popular transformation tool. And then DBT at the company, they kind of raised a lot of money as part of low interest data stack phenomena, and then kind of started to build around the initial DBT core CLI tools. And I think at some point they announced that they wanted to build a metrics layer or semantic layer, right? The first attempt was to build it in-house and then they sort of failed to deliver on expectations. And to solve for you know, like this issue of failing, they decided to buy a company called Transform Data. And Transform Data was one of our competitors, really great team, really well. So, you know, like it's always when you start a company, it's always good to have competitors because you understand it's probably other smart people, like, you know, like they doing something the same as you. So you're probably doing something right. Right. So like, it's always was good for me sure. to you know, like competitors, like transform data because it was a lot of like reassurances that we're doing the right thing. So what happened is that we got a little bit more traction and transform data from a business perspective and kind of winning the category. So transform data, they decided to like go and get acquired and DBT acquired them. I think that was like a second attempt of DBT to deliver that. Now it was, it happened like almost a year ago. I think we're still in a stage where like, it's not quite clear what DBT semantic layer is in, as a product. When I talk to the community, when I talk to users, I hear a lot of awareness about DBT semantic layer, but I don't see actual users and the customers of DBT semantic layer because it's still, I think the product is still not there. And I, I mean, it's hard for me to, you know, like to kind of talk about and kind of think why it's happening, right? Because they have all their reasons. That's a big company right now. They raised a lot of money. It creates a lot of pressure. Maybe, you know, like they're looking at the different areas of the product, how to, you know, like optimize for monetization, 
how to optimize, you know, like for the conversion from a cloud open source to cloud, they brought AWS VP of X, AWS VP of product, right? Like to solve all these problems. So it felt like Semantic Layer is not getting enough attention because it's a really hard problem to solve in a technological and a product. And it's not an it's not like an existential thing for DPT, right? If DPT fails, it's semantic layer, they still have a business. If Cube fails, mm. it's semantic layer, we don't have a business, right? So mm. we have to make it right. We have to make it work for DPT. It's just a one of the features they have at this point. Yeah, yeah, super interesting. One question, I should have thought of this earlier, but I'm sure a lot of teams build their own kind of semantic layer to address some of these issues. Where, what are, what tools are they using to do that? You know, to essentially sort of mimic what Cube would do. Yeah. How are they doing? What does like the in-house build look like for this? So I think that we can categorize these tools into sort of a one that's the simple versions of that and more like complicated. A simple version of that would be to use data merge as sort of your semantic layer. The problem with leveraging data marts is that you would have to create every data mart for every level of detail or grain, right? In case of your data, because non-additive measures, the joins, they all create this complexity where you cannot have a single data mart serving, you know, like mm. metrics with a multiple mm-hmm. grain. Right? Mm-hmm. So in that case, you would have to either create a lot of data marts, and that's what's some companies do, you know, like if you have a process, you know, like a kind of how you can produce this data marts and control, you can put more like a man at work just to, to do that. It's yes. expensive, but it's possible. Uh, but again, it's very expensive. The other option would be to create this, your own like in-house virtual layer that would give you the virtual semantic layer and that would generate a SQL. And I think some of, and I know some of the more sophisticated, you know, like tech companies, they build their own in-house versions of that. But essentially that would be Cube, right? Or that would be any yeah. like layer that would offer you for the virtual the data layer that would actually generate SQL when you query it. This way you're kind of solving for this like a grain or level of detail problem. So I see this kind of essentially two options. Your eyes are put a lot of money and time into like, manual work of creating and duplicating data marts or like you build your in-house version of Cube. Yep. Makes total sense. All right. Well, Costas, I've been um, monopolizing the mic, so please jump in here because I know you have a ton of questions and I want to hear about the LLM and AI stuff. Yeah. But before we get there, I think it should be good like to spend a little bit of time, like getting a little bit more technical about semantic layers. You mentioned, Artyom, that you said like a few seconds ago that semantic layers are a hard problem, both from a product perspective and like a technical perspective, right? What does this mean? And let's focus on like the technical side of things. Why building a semantic layer is hard? Right. So, and essentially at the heart or the core of semantic layer, you have a virtual data representation that can generate a SQL, right? That's like, I think the whole idea around semantic layer, even when semantic layer is being a part of the BI, right? Because if you look back into 
you know, business objects, like a first generation, like of the eyes with semantic layer, or even with at Looker, we'll see that semantic layer essentially is this sort of a virtual representation of data that lets you drag and drop things. And then when you do this kind of, you know, like when you build a query, then the system generates SQL and executes that SQL against your cloud data warehouse. In case of a live query, it was extracts, obviously, kind of it's going to query its own data store. So I think that's sort of a core of the problem, is it like how you build a virtual layer that exposes data as a measures and dimensions to the end user and then generates a SQL. And now, you know, like you have all these problems about how do we deal with joins? How do we deal with fan outs, you know, like a traps, chasms, all of that when we're generating a SQL. So I think like a SQL generation and creating a right framework for abstraction, that's one the problem, one piece of the problem. The other big problem is what, which was not solved by any coupled semantic layer is how do we make an interface to semantic layer? Because that problem really arises when we build a decoupled semantic layer. Because when we have a decoupled semantic layer, it means we need to have an API so a different system can connect to the semantic layer. So from that perspective, the question would be like, okay, we have a Tableau now. How Tableau would connect to your decoupled semantic layer? And that could be different, you know, like ideas, right? If one can be like built one-to-one connector with Tableau, the problem here is that you would have to build one-to-one connectors with all the tools, right? And it might be like a, just a maintenance burden, you know, like probably even almost impossible. So if you would look at different options, what you can do, you will probably arrive at SQL. You would think, okay, semantic layer should probably speak SQL because all these tools, they already speak SQL. Now the problem with SQL is that SQL doesn't know about metrics, right? SQL is just a columns, right? So you kind of define metrics when you write a query, you'll write like average, sum, you like can do some a little bit, you know, like a mass, right, in your SQL. But you cannot say, hey, SQL, give me that query, that, that measure, right, that metric. So that's where like the problem is like, how do we make a SQL look almost like MDAX? or work almost like MDEX so that it can query multidimensional data. I think the missing piece here is idea of measure. How do we make SQL aware of measures? So when you write your SQL query, you can say, hey, I just wanted to get that measure with that dimension and apply these filters and get a result back. I think that would be the biggest second technical problem when building semantic layer. So the first one is how do you design the architecture, you know, like how do you define measures, dimensions, all these objects and generate a SQL. And then the second big problem would be how do you create an interface so tools like Tableau can query a semantic layer. Yeah, let's start with uh, like the last one that you mentioned. So how how do we do that? Like do we yet another time, like try to extend SQL and add like more syntax there, like to do that? Is it, I don't know, like, do we just add like metadata or annotation? Like what are like, first of all, you are the expert here. So what are like the different attempts that like people have tried, you know, to like to solve that, right? Outside of building like one-to-one connections with every possible like BI tool out there. Yeah. So so far outside of one-to-one connectors i saw mostly two attempts one is introduce your own query language Mm -hmm. 
And this query language would be, you know, just some sort of a custom, think about like, you know, like a NoSQL style database query language, right? Like you still query something, but it's not a SQL. Yeah. That was what transform data had before DBT acquired them. I don't think that's the right approach because the, the good thing about it, it's native to query metrics, which is, you know, like it feels good when you use it. The problem is that you have all this data infrastructure all, already built around SQL, and then you need to go and pitch Tableau, Power BI, hey, can you support my metrics query language, which is like almost impossible thing to do, right? So that's why I feel like it's not a right approach. The other approach is to make it SQL first. Now, here we have two branches, how to make that. One is that's what we do at Cube and what is Looker is doing. I'll talk about it in a second. And the other is what DBT semantically are currently doing. So what DBT is doing, they're taking a SQL more as a container and then they put a bunch of Jinja inside it. So from that perspective, you use SQL as more like just a protocol, right? Like at the container, but the actual querying happening right inside, right inside this Jinja template inside the SQL. I think it's sort of, you know, like it might solve the connectivity issue, just a basic connectivity. But then the question it would be, how would Tableau generate that query, right? Like because Tableau generates a SQL query when you do drag and drop. Then you sort of come down to like a one-to-one connectors because you would need to run it like a driver for Tableau that knows how to generate the Jinja template. So I don't think that's quite a solution. Again, it might be easier for a person and for a human, right, to like to write that inside a SQL query if you use tool like a hacks or if you use tool like a mode. But it might be really hard for tools to power BI Tableau to, to actually generate that. Yeah. And now the final option, that's what we do and what Looker is doing is to be as ANSI SQL compatible as possible with addition of the measure type. Now the measure type is a spatial type in a SQL that would represent an already predefined metric, meaning that it's a spatial column that knows how to evaluate itself. So we define that, you know, like it can be active users, or it can be like percentage of failed transaction with a ratio metric. And from the SQL standpoint, it's going to be just a column in your table with a spatial type measure. And you would use a function called measure, like spatial aggregate function to query this. So you would say, hey, I want to get my measure back. And then you kind of by doing the SQL query, you're telling a system that I don't want it calculated. I know that you know how you calculated it already. Just give me the value back. So that seems like the, you know, like the least evil here in terms of, you know, like changes to the SQL, right? Because we don't want to change SQL, right? But we have to make this minor change. And it feels like the least necessary change, you know, like, that is required that we can make to make it work. The challenge here is that it might be not very natural for SQL because you're kind of making SQL multidimensional at this point. So we want to make sure to make it accurate so we're not breaking any SQL standards and SQL expectations, but that's possible to do. So that's what we do at Cube and that's what Looker is doing with the Looker modeler. Uh, 
And just for the context, Looker, when GCP acquired Looker, they announced that they wanted to turn Looker into this sort of a semantic layer as well. And it means they need to build an interface. An interface for that would be the Apache call side that is being developed by Julian Hyde. And that's how Julian and the team approaches the problem of querying measures as well with a spatial measure type and a spatial like a measure function. The one thing here to mention is that you may say Tableau doesn't have a measure function, right? Like it only has some average. Here's an interesting thing is like we probably need to provide some backward compatibility for like a BIs that still don't have it. Maybe, you know, like use some for like sums for measures with subtype sum or with measures with subtype average, we can use average. But there are like some compatibility things. But long term, I think that approach is the most viable one. Mm-hmm. So, okay, I what I see here is that and let's start with like the approach of like DBT. So the DBT is like going, trying like to solve the problem like more on the front end side, let's say. So by having like considering SQL more as a template and then having a preprocessor there that's based on like the Jinja logic enriches the SQL with whatever it has to be. And okay, I can see like the value in that in terms of like the flexibility. And most importantly, like you don't really have to go back like to the query engine and make changes to the query engine, which is a pretty hard thing to do in general, right? But as you say, like, okay, you have the problem there that you need all the BI, like all the front end tools at the end, like to somehow like understand these template language and that in there. And then you have the other approach of like introducing new types, which, okay, it sounds like the most like engineering sound way like to do it, right? But then, okay, you don't have like necessarily to go and change things like on the front end that much, but you have to change things on the back end, right? So what's like the solution there? And like, let's keep it like away from Google because Google is like a special kind of creature, right? In terms of like the resources that they have and like how they think about like products, but Let's say about Cube, right? You can't go out there and be like, hey, Redshift, like, let's introduce another type here, right? So how do you do that? Like, how do you implement that, like, as Cube? Yeah. I think first, a high-level architecture here would be that Tableau generates that query with measures, mm-hmm. all of that. That query is going to be sent to Cube or any semantic layer. And then Cube, a semantic layer, should generate a real SQL based on the data models that are going to be executed in Snowflakes and Databricks, and then kind of send results all the way back to Tableau. Mm-hmm. So in that case, the question is, how do we implement that SQL engine, right? Like that can talk about measures and all of this. Yeah, that's a challenge that the cube we implement in our own SQL engine. So we're building one. We are like building on obviously on top of existing technologies, right? We're using Apache Arrow Data Fusion as a SQL parser and to some extent a SQL sort of logical and the planner, right? Like, but we extend the planner on a level where we introduce AD of measures and dimensions. And then we build our execution engine in a way that for some of the queries and execution happens at the core part of the semantic layer where we generate the SQL query, we execute it, send all the way back to sort of the kube SQL engine and then the rest of the 
execution is happens like just as a regular SQL, because you might have uh, like an inner query that goes to your like semantics, and then you can make an outer query that you know like do some post processing, right? Like when the data is fetched, you wanted to change that. So it's kind of a could be a combination of things. But to answer your question, yes, uh, in that case, every semantical vendor that is going with that approach would need to have their own SQL engine. And for us, we build based on the Postgres uh, protocol. So in Postgres compliance, we also support Redshift style of Postgres, where, you know, like some of the functions might be different, but essentially it's Postgres compiled. Okay. So, but you still interoperate with other query engines, right? You don't expect like the users to substitute, like, for example, like BigQuery with Cube to do the data warehousing, right? Is it? Oh, no, yeah. I mean, we like look at the Postgres for like Tableau, Domo, you know, like ThoughtSpot, all of this. And then they send query to Cube. And then once we get a query, we generate a real query to all the backends, like a Snowflake, Databricks, you know, like Cerberus, all of these tools. So it's sort of, you know, like a, two-step process, right? You first send a query to Cube, which is a query to your semantic layer, which is still a SQL query. But then you got a completely separate SQL query based on your real data backend. Yeah, so you actually like rewrite the query in, uh, and make it like... So in, the, in that case, and like my question here is uh, two things. One is like the user experience and how it is affected because, okay, you need... We add another like layer of interaction there, which it's like a very common way of like solving problems in engineering, but uh, adds also like more latency there, probably, right? We don't know, but like it might. And the other thing is like the developer experience in terms of like how do you debug issues now? Because now you don't have just like the SQL that I write on like or, or let's say. I generate something like on my Tableau. This thing, which is just visual stuff for me as a user, goes like to Cube, right? Cube rewrites the query and executes like the query then like on like BigQuery, let's say, for example. And you have like all these like different steps where like the query gets transformed one way or another, where like things can go wrong like for whatever reason, right? And the reason I'm asking is because like I remember back in uh, like 2015 or 2016. Back then at Blender, like we had like a customer who was using Looker with Redshift. And they were like in a total panic one day because something went wrong with their LookML. And Looker started like generating some queries that really destroyed the cluster. Right. Uh, and these things can happen, but like it becomes like harder for like the developer to debug so how do you find like the right balance there right yeah that's a good question so first we'll talk about overhead right and you know like potentially adding some performance penalty here hopefully that's true you know like you got something in the middle that gets one query in and generates a second query so that sql generation kind of might take some time uh, on Cube side, we optimize it. So many things have been pre-compiled and reused from, you know, like a data model generation and compilation perspective. So we usually try to minimize that overhead to like 100 milliseconds or so. Uh, and, you know, like 
while we deal with analytics, usually we talk about seconds in analytics, right? Anyway, so it's usually not a big overhead. We also have a very developed caching layer because Cube started like a lot for embedded analytics, right? Like an embedded analytics latency's performance is really critical. So that's why we have like a really sophisticated caching layer that can help in many cases to, you know, like not only to mitigate that additional latency, but also to improve over even the scenario where you wouldn't have a cube in the middle, right? The cube it actually not can add a latency, but can remove latency in many cases if you use cache at the cube level. So I would generally say that's not a problem that we see in customers that can be mitigated. The second thing is really interesting, and you spot on that sort of debugging issue, observability, you know, like how do you deal with that? You no, know, that's the funny thing that it's a problem, but the opportunity itself, and that's how the Cube Cloud started. So when we first, we had this open source project and when we, you know, like started a company around it, you know, like we raised a siege round and we raised a series A and at some point, okay, well, like we need to start building a commercial product, right? It's like we need to make money. And we, my co-founder and I, we sat and like started to think like what we can build that creates value on top of Q. And that's what the first thing we, we built, like observability debugging platform that helps you to like understand what's happening with queries. Now Q Cloud is much bigger, so a lot of features, a lot of stuff, but that's how it started. And that's still being a big part of that. So we like, we spend a lot of time to building a lot of tools to, you know, like to help you navigate issues. Because that's right, you know, like once you have something in the middle, right, you have to give tools to people, you know, like to be able to debug and understand what's happening. Yeah, yeah, 100%. All right, cool. That's, I think like was a very interesting dive into the like internals of like a system, like a semantic layer. And it's like, for me, like it was important like to do that because I think that people, it's hard for people from the outside to see like the complexity of building a system like that. And there are like, as you said, like still like problems out there that's okay. Probably there are like even better ways like to do it. And that's like the mission that like Cube also has, right? So let's move to the future. And let's talk a little bit because semantics is like a very interesting term and it's something that's like also like related a lot with AI and LLMs, like with LLMs being like the technology that feel like the AI growth right now. So in a world where, okay, people imagine that like, I don't know, like in a year or two from now, people would just pick on the laptop and the laptop will generate the SQL and I don't know, like come up with whatever. And we can argue if this is like realistic or not, but I'm obviously like just replicating the hype here and exaggerating. But how do you see semantic layers working together with LLMs and what's like the importance, let's say, like of the two being together for the organization? Yeah, great question. When LLMs, you know, like, came out, right? And I think GPT, what, a year ago, right? I think it's been like a little over than a year ago now. 
it created a lot of excitement. And I think in data, one of the first use cases was like, okay, now we can write SQL automatically, right? Like <laughs> that was everyone was thinking about. And I, a lot of attempts and you know, like we started to see a lot of companies kind of started to build around this idea again, because it's, it's not a new idea. I mean, like remember ThoughtSpot, right? When they started, it was like all over like their positioning and messaging, like ThoughtSpot is like a text to SQL kind of a generation. So we're like, we're doing it again now with a better technology for sure. I think we at Cube been, you know, like thinking a lot about it, talking to a lot of people trying to do that. And sort of to summarize, you know, like my experience, you know, like was using LLM for the text to SQL generation. I think that the recent paper from the data.world team did really good job of kind of summarizing what's happening. So what they did is that they decided to do a benchmark and they published it as a paper. So the idea of the benchmark is let's take a data set with a bunch of relations I think they took some of the public data sets on like insurance kind of, you know, like a use case domain. And what they're doing is that they're taking a set of questions and they expect a set of answers back. And, you know, like they can measure accuracy if the answer is correct or not. And they have specific prompts. So the first attempt is to run it directly on top of schema so they essentially in the prompt they saying you're about to answer the question use this ddl you know like to learn about the schema and then accuracy was about 16 percent or something in that case not good then what they did is they ran it over the knowledge graph so they took this ontologist you know like standard ontologies they build it and they kind of fed that ontology to the LLM and they were saying like, here's the ontology, run the query on top of the ontology. And the result was about what, like a 56 or 58%, like essentially three X better, but still like hit and miss essentially overall. One question would be right, one question would be wrong, but it's still a three X improvement. And I, after that, we have a few partners that companies uh, that are building some sort of a, like a text to SQL products on top of semantic layers. And these partners, their like idea is that they believe that semantic layer can significantly improve the accuracy of this solution. So what they did is they took cube as a semantic layer and then they ran the same benchmark on top of cube and they got to 100% accuracy. Mm -hmm. And I think it's that cube gives all the semantics, all the relationship of the ontology to the LLM system. And then you craft the prompt with all this information and you just run it against cube and you get a really good accuracy. So it's like it went from 16, which is like a raw, raw SQL to like 100% accuracy. So I believe if we want to build a future with, you know, like text to SQL products, it has to be have a semantic layer part of it. And now I went to reInvent last week and AWS, they announced a queue this like big chatbot, right, that lives now in AWS products. And it's connected to multiple product in a QuickSight. So mm -hmm. what you can do in a QuickSight right now, and QuickSight is a BI from AWS, right, like just for the context. So it's a pretty standard BI, all the features you would expect from a BI. And now they added this natural language. So what you can do, you can sort of create, they call it a topic, which essentially kind of a data set 
like representation that you get a bunch of measures, dimensions together, build like some kind of data set, you call it a topic, and then they require you to give a lot of like semantics to, to that topic, like what are synonyms, what, you know, like, how do you call your metrics, you, you may have, you know, like your jargon or like specific, you know, like acronyms in your organization you use to call metric. So you kind of essentially give all the semantics to the system and then it can give some results, some kind of good results, right? So now what I think is going to happen is that every BI is going to add feature like this. Now, mm -hmm. every BI would require semantics to be inside that BI to, you know, like to make that feature work very well. So it will create an... I started with that, right? When you asked me what is semantic layer, universal semantic layer said, the problem is trying to make it dry across data stack. So now the problem is going to be even worse because you will have all the semantics, synonyms, all the words inside every BI if you wanted to make it work very well with natural language, right? So you will have like a semantic scattering across all of these places. So I think that's what's going to really happen. And I think that's why the value of standalone semantic layer would even be bigger in this like LLM based world. Yeah. So what is the semantic layer? Like in the example that you mentioned, like what is Cube bringing to the LLM that the ontology cannot capture and we get such a big difference in like the performance at the end? I think ontology, the idea of ontology is it doesn't, they don't have, they're all about relationships mostly, right? Uh, they don't have metrics. And now in analytics, you kind of will ask about metrics anyway. Like you would ask, what are my transaction rates failure or what bounce rate on my website? And where is it defined? You need to define it somewhere, right? Like, so you either define it inside your PI, like you would do it for Q in a quick site, you would exactly define it, but then you will have the same problem, right? Like, because it's going to scatter it across multiple places. Or you're going to define it some, you know, like a standard place, like a semantic layer. Ontology by itself just doesn't support it. I feel like maybe if we just take ontology and extend it to some to some degree, you know, like to cover analytics, it would help. But then in that case, it would just become a semantic layer, really, right? Yeah, I get it. Okay. It's like more about like it's not how the information is represented, but like what information is actually like included uh, as part of the ontology. Like, okay, like theoretically, you could have like an ontology describing metrics, like right? nothing stops you from that, but obviously that was not the case. Uh, and okay, that's, that's interesting. And my question is like, okay, when you remove completely, let's say uh, the guardrails from a human, because like, Either like if we call them UIs or like a DSL or a language or whatever, uh, at the end, what we are doing is that uh, we're creating, let's say, a very rigid and strict context in which the human brain operates, right? Now, if we remove that and we let the user just like type whatever they want, like what can be asked is like completely open, right? We don't even have like, let's say, syntactic checks there, like as we have, like when we write code, right? And my question is, sure, like you have, your semantic layer will always be like a limited representation of the world out there, right? Like you cannot have like in your semantic layer, like everything. On the other hand, the user can ask whatever, right? So how do you handle 
like the user experience in such an environment? I don't expect you to have an answer. To be honest, I think this is like of some of like the really hard problems that like people like us who build have to answer with using like LLMs and bringing LLMs like to the markets out there. But I'd love to hear like how you think about it. Yeah. I mean, it's, that's a good question and it, it's obviously more about the distant future, right? But I think it's good to think about it now. So the, the flow as it is today, right? With, you know, like sort of data products, uh, is that you have a data engineer, right? Who sort of owns systematic layer and whether you're doing it inside your BI or, you know, like you're doing it in a cube, you, you still define metrics somewhere. And then you, you say you have a user who consumes that. And then usually you have all this conversation, like you have a meeting with some marketing team and they say, hey, we have this HubSpot data. We want to look at the metrics, you know, like maybe like contact requests, forms, fails. And you kind of, as a data engineer, you're having a conversation with them saying, you try to understand what do they want and you try to map it. Do I have it in my semantic layer? Do I have this metrics? Did they build this smarts or not? And then you say, okay, I have this and that. I probably don't have this few metrics and dimensions, but I'm going can build it for you. And then next week we'll have a meeting and I will show you how to do that. And then you essentially do that, right? You build that and you say, here's, you know, like the metrics measures, here's like the list of things you can do, like drag and drop, enjoy, right? And then they would probably say, hey, it's I'm missing this dimension, right? Can you build it? And it's like always comes and goes. That's probably the best scenario, right? We're not like the worst would be they just asking for ad hoc reports but in the best case you like you're building an actual semantic layer and they like use the semantic layers but you're still going to develop it semantic layer it's not something you built once and you know like you don't need to touch it so now we, we say in the future we have this this system you were describing right like so i think from that perspective that system would somehow should act as a data engineer as well that can modify the semantic layer because the system, the AI would know, okay, this is the semantic layer I have. You, we want me to get this information, but I don't have it yet. So probably need to go and make a change to semantic layer, and then you will be able to access all of this. And I either make a change, like ad hoc change on a fly to extend the semantic layer at the given moment to satisfy your request, or I make a more like universal change and you know, like that can be applied everywhere. Now the question is like, do we trust AI to fully automate that process or the person is still going to be in a loop? That could be a good question. You know, like I see world where like AI can make a pull request to semantic layer change. And then, you know, like as a human would review the change and accept it, that can be possible. Something may be fully automated and AI will just kind of maintain it. So I think we'll see how that's going to be developed. But that's like roughly how I see that, you know, like the future flow might look like. Yeah, I know. Like, well, it makes total sense. And anyway, I think we are going to have some very interesting, at least months, two years ahead of us with For sure. new things coming out there. And like, I'm very uh, like excited to see also like what Cube is going to be building there. So Eric, the, the microphone back to you. I know that uh, you can't stay away from it for that long. So all you. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I just, it has a magnetic pull or I have a magnetic pull. We'll never know. Uh, RT, I have one personal question just to land the plane here. You know, we're always interested in what people would do if they weren't 
working in data. So if you didn't have a job, you know, building tooling or working uh, in the data space, what would you do? I would do, I mean, I'm a big fan of uh, table games and Dungeons and Dragons and, you know, like video games, uh, RPGs, all that stuff. I would do that for a living. I think that would be a fun job. Uh, so, but I, I, I mean, I got pulled into software engineering like early on, you know, like, and just, I haven't had a really chance to think about what I would do outside of yeah. it. That's something, you know, like I would do, you know, like I, I understand that may not be as, how would I put it, profitable, <laughs> as, <laughs> but it still could be fun. Yeah, yeah. No, that's interesting. I mean, I think anyone who's played a really, like really good games feels so natural. And then you play a game that's designed pretty poorly and it, you're like, whoa, this is like, it's not fun, you know? So yeah, that would certainly be a fascinating, yeah. fascinating problem space to tackle. Yeah, I think the games, they're all about the stories. And I actually been thinking a lot lately about, you know, like how we can apply AI to the games. And I think like a lot of people in the industry and the gaming industry, they're thinking about it, especially, you know, like to, you know, like RPGs and where like a story mm -hmm. part of mm -hmm. that. I saw a few projects online where like, you know, Dungeons and Dragons, right? Like you have a, like a dungeon master kind of, you know, like leading a game. So it's so projects online kind of making an AI-based dungeon master that kind of would run a game for you, like just based on LLM. So I think that could be cool. So yeah, I mean, LLMs can definitely have a really interesting impact on the industry. Very cool. Well, RGM, thanks for giving us some of your time. So great to have you back on the show. Oh yeah, yeah, I had fun. Thank you. That was really good. We hope you enjoyed this episode of The Data Stack Show. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app to get notified about new episodes every week. We'd also love your feedback. You can email me, Eric Dodds, at eric at datastackshow.com. That's E-R-I-C at datastackshow.com. The show is brought to you by Rudderstack, the CDP for developers. Learn how to build a CDP on your data warehouse at rudderstack.com.